As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and we're back after an incredible Boxing Day in the Premier League. Alongside me in the studio, it is Alison Rudd and also joining me, welcome Alan Smith. Plus, down the line, we're joined by the man on the Manchester Beats for The Times, that is Paul Hurst. Later on, we'll be looking at a beleaguered Burnley and the glut of goals in the Premier League this season. But we start with another stunning result in the title race. After defeat at home to Crystal Palace on Saturday, the champions Manchester City were beaten again by Leicester at the King Power Stadium on Boxing Day. City have lost three of their last four. They'd only lost two of their previous 61 in the Premier League prior to that. Paul, what exactly is the problem then with City at the moment? You can sum it up in one one name, one player, and that's Fernandinho. They, mm. they miss Fernandinho so much um, at Man City. I, I remember... Uh, going on tour with Man City in, um, in Pep's first summer to China, and he says it, in one of his first press conferences that he, he sort of marvelled at Fernandinho. Said, you know, this guy can play ten positions. He's, you know, he's such an athlete, uh, such a professional, um, and he's so important for the team. And you know, it's, it's, it's proved to be the case over the last couple of years. He's, he's just such an important cog in Guardiola's team. He does so much. He, you know, he, he breaks up play. He, he does these little sort of niggly fouls that, you know, that Pep sort of denies happen, but they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's happy to, to break up play, and he's also very good on the ball as well. He's very creative. He's very energetic. He, he drives forward, and you know, but he, his main, you know, function is to to protect those two centre halves, and without him in front of. Um, Stones and Laporte, they don't look as good. And I must say as well that Stones and Laporte yesterday didn't have as much protection from the full-backs as they used to. There was no Kyle Walk yesterday. Danilo came in and he just doesn't offer the same kind of protection um, as Walk does, same, the same energy levels, the same speed. And, you know, Fabian Dolph had a, had a game to forget yesterday. He was He was completely all over the shop. So, you know, those two guys, Stones and Laporte, have looked good for most of the season, but Part of the reason is because they've had that protection and it wasn't there yesterday and, and that showed. Paul, it's, it's Alison here. I wondered, because you, you've seen a lot of City, I wondered, do you think Fernandinho has very good personality on the pitch? You, do, do you know when we, we used to say about Arsenal, oh, that they're very, you know, they're very cultured, they have so many great players, but they just lack somebody who can pull it all together not from just how they play but having that sort of status on the pitch because Vincent Company's not involved much anymore and I sort of felt that Fernandinho quietly fulfilled that role of just offering robust leadership 
often by example, but I don't know whether you feel his actual personality is something that, when he's not on the field of play, that City miss as well. Yeah, I think you're right. He does he does play that role, uh, his very important role at City, but he is the kind of the father of the group. He is you know, the oldest, he's 33, um, particularly when it comes to the other Brazilians, you know, like Gabriel Jesus and Edison. Um, he, he really kind of looks after those. He's really a, a father figure to them. And he, he does, he's a kind of, you know, he does he does look after the other players as well. I remember when City played Chelsea a couple of years ago, City lost and it all kicked off in the last minute. And, you know, Fernandinho was, was the first on the scene and, uh, you know, he tempers boiled over that point. He, he did actually push Fabregas over the um, advertising boards. But, you know, he was there for his teammates. He, he fights for them. And he's, he's a leader on that pitch. And it is something that that they have missed, like you say, without company there. They, they do need a leader in that team. And he's the obvious one. You know, De Bruyne is a little bit vocal. Um, David Silva, very quiet on the pitch. Leads by example, as you say. Aguero's not a... You know, he's he, he not in that role either. So when he is there, he, do, he does perform that role. And, you know, when they don't have him in the team, they, they do miss it. I was not surprised at this result because I was at the Carabao Cup game at the King Power. And Leicester played a weakened side, which they slowly improved. They brought off the bench their better players. And as they did so, they got pace, Leicester, and they have a, an ability to believe in their attacks, which lots of teams don't against City. They sort of think, oh, we're going to attack, we're attack properly. And when they flooded City, City did look, you know, they, they didn't quite know what to do about it. And in on that instance, they had Stones as a holding midfielder. So Pep clearly thought, well, that didn't work very well, pushed him back as a centre-back. But he was still left with a, a dilemma, and I don't think he... He solved it. And, Paul, I think it's really interesting that you very eloquently explain what City missed. But people have been predicting that City would struggle without Fernandinho should he be injured or just look his age at some point. And I know he wanted Jorginho and he decided to go from Napoli to Chelsea, but then he, he stopped. I mean, are they the only two players in the universe that you could possibly attract in that position? Well, he's very, you know, particular. Obviously, as we know, Pep Guardiola, you know, he will pick out the players that he wants he won't kind of settle for a, you know, just a, a stopgap option. The, the one, uh, the one player that they have looked at, you know, as an alternative to uh, Jorginho is Frankie De Jong from Ajax, um, who's you know seen as the, you know, the, the the shining light of you know the next next player to come through that Ajax academy. He's twenty one. Um, he, you know, he's, he's Guardiola's dream kind of player. His primary role is a deep line midfielder, but he can play at centre half as well. Very good on the ball. Very, you know, he's got great vision, great creativity. Um, he's not a not a cruncher like Fernandinho. He doesn't really do that part of the the job as well as, as Fernandinho does. But you know, Pep believes he can teach any footballer anything. So if if he thinks he can, you know, teach him that part of the game, then you know he, he will become the kind of all round midfielder that they're looking for. But the problem is that Ajax are looking for a ridiculous amount of money for him. You know, you look at. 70, 80 million for him, and he's only 21 years old. Um, but, you know, Barcelona looking at him as well, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Paris Saint Germain. So they've got their competition uh, for him, but they see him as the, you know, as the one who could replace Fernandinho. But whether they get him or not is, is another matter. No wonder that Ajax have bumped up the price for him then with all those clubs after him. Um, but let's give some more credit then to Leicester. It was uh, less than a week ago that there were reports of a rift between Claude Puel and Jamie Vardy. And since then, they've gone on to beat Chelsea and now City. Alan, 
let's give credit to what Leicester have achieved so far. Um, I think Leicester, fascinating, even if you go back to sort of the post title season and the manner in which Ranieri left and stories about the players sort of rebelling and, and turning against them. Um, Puel, end of last season, his job looked very much at risk. I remember there was a game at Crystal Palace where the team played really, really poorly and a lot of people sort of expected him to be sacked after that. But then, out of nowhere, rallied, put a couple of decent performances together at the end of the season. That sort of saved his job. Um, the variety stories from a couple of weeks back I find quite interesting because Puel has obviously introduced this style that doesn't necessarily suit Vardy's Vardy's game where you know it's about raw pace and chasing down balls and terrorizing defenders whereas Puel wants something sort of you know slightly more patient build up which just doesn't suit Vardy so I can kind of see both sides of the story but I felt yesterday the biggest change was moving Madison in from the wing to this number 10 role and changing the formation. Um, it's quite interesting that Hamza Chaudhuri's come back in as well. He kind of played, I think he played three games at the end of last season, um, local homegrown player from, from the academy. Sort of fell out with Puel in the summer for some reason, didn't even get a shirt number, and he's played the past two games and they've won both. Um, I know he was taken off after about an hour yesterday, but it's quite interesting to note that sort of he's been welcomed back in and they've had these these two results. I'm not saying it's down to his his performances or anything, but I think there is some sort of unsettled sort of tension in it between the manager and the players, but every time he looks like he's really in trouble, they just pull it out from, from nowhere. Mm. Yes, Leicester are a team where I would say of all the teams in the Premier League, they're the one with the greatest player power. Yeah. Because of that title win yeah. and the joy it brought the owners. But even it, then... It was like, they can do whatever they want. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just getting a new car. They, yeah. they have the ear yeah. of management above the manager. They, right. it's, it's a very hard place to manage. Obviously, quite a few players have moved on. Kante, Mares, Drinkwater obviously went as well. But you look at sort of Schmeichel, um, Morgan, Brady, obviously, and you kind of think they're running things there, aren't they? If you look at sort of like Shakespeare's time, which obviously ended quite poorly as well, they were the one. You know, supposedly, they were the he was the man that they wanted post Ranieri, and then when things don't work, there's another change again. And it seems that you know, I agree with Alison, the players sort of they're the ones in control. I think. But what about Claude Puel himself? Doesn't he deserve credit in the sense that in that game against City, he tweaked things enough to, to as you mentioned, moving Madison from, from the wing in, into yeah. that number 10 position? He, you know, he's showing his tactical nous as that manager. Well, overall, I think he's an underrated manager and he was at Southampton. And I think if you were to list all the sackings of the last decade, his sacking at Southampton was the most short-sighted that I can really think of if you put all the factors into it especially what happened subsequently to Southampton. And I think he suffers from being very quietly spoken, lacking passion. It is possible to nod off in a post-match press conference <laughs> because he just doesn't... It doesn't matter what the outcome was or what happened. It is all monotone, barely audible. He would whisper about how good it was if they won 26-0. I think that counts against him. Media is all part of the hype when it comes to how managers are perceived... You know, that is why certain managers are not doing such a great job, but they get a lot of time to, to put it right because they're great fun and they come out with great one-liners and they, they spin a yarn for you. Puel does not spin anything at all. But he's, I think he's hard to analyse right now. His job was precarious and I think he made a terrible faux pas in the lineup he picked in that Carabao Cup game. They had enough there to win that game. They definitely did and he left it too late to make his substitutions. You know, they, the club had said, we want to win this competition for the, in the memory of the owner who died. 
well, how, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be too cynical about it, but he did make the promise. And if he had progressed through to the final, it would feel like he was fulfilling a different type of fairy tale, if you like. You know, this is a ter- tragedy happens, but we rise to the the repercussions of that tragedy and we try and do something to honour honor the chairman. And he promised that's what he'd do. And then he didn't didn't do it with his line-up. But on the other hand, he said he'd made changes because he was worried about the fixture pile-up. He was concerned about it. And lo and behold, he does defeat Chelsea and he does defeat Manchester City, which no one would have expected Leicester to have done. So he, in that sort of purely tactical rotation, knowing his squad sense, he's got that right. And he evidently felt he didn't want to be sucked into some sort of potential relegation rumour. So I think it's difficult to balance. It's, it's almost like you're putting emotion on one side of the scales and extreme pragmatism on the other. Well, I think the understated approach in the media also translates to the team, where he sort of seems this quite distant figure and, you know, he's not necessarily someone who kind of gets in the face or he's not going to deliver a, a passionate pre-match team talk. And I, I think... You know, while we can only see him in press conferences and what he's like after games, he is apparently quite like that in the changing room as well. It's it's not just a media front. That's his that's his approach to managing the players as well. And like Alison said, it, you know, sometimes it can be a struggle to to stay awake. If anything, you kind of you have to be even more alert just to hear what he's trying to say because he sort of he just whispers and you know, he never. I can't remember him ever saying anything you know surprising it's always sort of the answer is exactly what you would expect and that's not sort of a, a criticism or anything because you know that's his approach and going back to the Southampton issue I think his sacking there is sort of the two appointments that followed sort of proved how poor a decision that was as well so I think you know he is quite clearly a, a talented coach he knows the game inside out but his quietness sort of undermines his his own ability, Maybe he's really strong-willed. I think you have to be incredibly strong-willed yeah. to make the promise that you're going to win, try and win a trophy yeah. in memory of the dead owner, and then you <laughs> you clearly don't make it a priority. Yeah. He's, he's putting football before anything else, suddenly. Well, talking of uh, priority, Paul, if City were to fall further behind uh, in the title race, do you think they will focus very much on the Champions League this season? I think, well, I, I think Pep will, you know, will... Still think, however far behind before that they can they can win both. He, he's so, so, so kind of driven and you know so kind of you know got so much faith in this team that he probably thinks they can win both competitions. Personally, I think they should be challenging for the Champions League this season. You look at that squad that they've got; it's you know it's, it's arguably the best in Europe. They should be going for it. I mean, he thinks that you know English clubs sometimes have a, some kind of a mental block when it comes to the the latter stages of the Champions League, and he keeps saying that. City don't have the history or the pedigree of other teams like you know like Liverpool and, and Man United, but you know that's it's really no excuse that they should be kind of pushing for these competitions. They they have invested the kind of money that that should be leading to them challenging for for trophies like that, um, and I'm sure he, he thinks they can they can still do both. And we were talking about. Um personality of Claude Puel, obviously one manager that keeps on giving is Jurgen Klopp. Uh, Liverpool now six points clear of Spurs at the top of the table, seven ahead of City. They host Arsenal on Saturday, then they face Manchester City next Thursday. This has already been an incredible Christmas for Klopp and Liverpool. Alison, it could get so much better. Well, uh, she would say that, wouldn't she? But I, I think it will, simply because I don't feel... When I watch Liverpool, I still feel they are getting acclimatised to having a great defence. And once they once they fully accept how wonderful their defending is, I think they might 
become a bit more expansive in midfield and that will free up their amazing forwards and we will see them score more goals, win by bigger margins. At the start of the season, I started to worry that um, City might win the title on goal difference. Well, now the goal difference is the same between Liverpool and City and I can't see it getting... I can only see Liverpool improving now on that because they quite clearly are about to just accept we have a wonderful... I mean, look at Dejan Lovren. He's been, unfairly, for a lot of the time, a bit of a cartoon figure for, for Liverpool. Oh, dear, Dejan's in. What's he said now? Oh, <laughs> and oh, it's time for him to play like a donkey. Isn't it time he had a donkey game? And he, he because he's playing in a defence which has completely clicked, he's playing in front of a goalkeeper he can believe in, playing alongside Virgil, who's frequently now called the greatest defender in the world. I mean, that's a sort of prime example of how that can work. He's, you know, scoring wonder goals and making wonderful passes and looking just like the player that you would expect someone who got to a World Cup final to look like. And if, if it can do that to him, it can do that to every single player on the pitch. I think there's so much room for improvement. But when I look at Manchester City, I don't really see room for improvement. I mean, they're clearly a very excellent team, but I can't, I can't see what they're getting out of their system now that they weren't getting before that would give them cause to... Because what they need is a real boost of self-belief and confidence and so on that, that I, I where are they going to get it from because they're already very good but I can't see how I, I can see Liverpool having a gear to get into City I'm not I'm not sure where it's going, going to come from Kevin De Bruyne well he's back and well, they're it's losing take, is it not going to take a few games for him to sort of return to the, the level of last season no I think he's I think he's, he's well Paul probably know better but I, I thought he was like yeah outstanding in that Carabao Cup game where everyone was a bit sort of slightly we'll below par. He looked amazing. I think we'll see a better City once when we've got De Bruyne, Fernandinho and David Silva playing together. I mean, they, they, as a unit, they are, you know, they were so key last season for them winning the title and they've not started a, a league game together as a three since May and, you know, they are, you know, it's a perfectly kind of balanced midfield in terms of creativity and, and strength as well. So I think when when those three are playing together as a three, that's when we'll see City stepping up a gear. But I, I agree with you, Alison, in terms of Liverpool. I just I don't think they are at their best yet, and that's that's gonna be the most worrying thing for City. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Now, every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Bill Edgar provides 11 trivia teasers for you, and here is one for you on this very podcast. If Tottenham finish in their current position of second, they would equal the record for the most consecutive seasons in the top three without winning the title. It would be four seasons in a row. Who are the only other team to have recorded this feat? Doing so from 1969 to 70 to 1972 to 73. Ooh... You'll have to stick around to the end of the podcast to find out the answer. Boxing Day was another miserable day at the office for Burnley as they were hammered 5-1 by Everton at Turf Moor. It was Burnley's 13th defeat of the season in the Premier League. No other club has lost more. The Clarets are in the relegation zone. Sean Dyche said there are a number of reasons why they are struggling. Alison, can you suggest any? Oh, I 
I'm loath to say this phrase because I don't like it, but I can't think of another one. It's an identity crisis because when your trajectory is from uh, complete underdogs, lucky to be in the Premier League, you are allowed to play boring football and your fans will back you only giving them a 1-0 win at home because they can see the bigger picture and they could see last season them rising up the league, surprising big teams, never looking completely outclassed. And in those situations, it didn't really matter. It became almost a badge of honour that they would win a game 1-0. And it felt like reliable in a way. When that falls apart, and I think the Europa League campaign was part of just getting to grips with that was, was part of the reason it fell apart. But what, once it does fall apart, you then doubt who you are, why you should do it. So, for example, in the last two games, you've had them uh, playing Arsenal and really going for the old-fashioned Burnley approach of being dour and trying to break things up and concentrating extremely hard and looking for a chunk of that game as though you might just get a draw from it. You might get a creditable draw that you might be able to, to build on and they're undone. So the obduracy hasn't worked and it's taken a lot of effort as well. It's hard work playing like that, a bit concentrating like that and so on. So what do they do? They're suddenly there at home and they're thinking, well, that, you know, that's not working anymore and or maybe we should just try and have a bit more faith in ourselves. And then they come up against a team with much better players, you know, man for man, they're better players. And they, they tear you apart because you've just stopped being what you're best at. And so I, although I don't like the phrase, I think the answer is identity crisis. They have now considered more goals in the first half of this season than they did in the entirety of last season, Alan. Why has it been so drastically different defensively then? Um, I've covered them three times in the past four weeks, I think. Um, Lucky and you. Kind of, yeah, um, they've had a really difficult run in the past few weeks. They obviously played Liverpool at Turf Moor, um, then went to Wembley, lost the Spurs because of an injury time goal by Christian Eriksen, um, where again, they sort of it was very much an attempt to sort of frustrate, wasting time from about five minutes into that game. Um, and Arsenal as well. I mean, the difference at Arsenal was obviously that they'd scored quite early on and then Burnley had to actually kind of do something and pour forward. So I think that's one factor in terms of the recent form more worrying was when they were beaten by Crystal Palace I think about four and a half weeks ago um, a really really poor performance and Deitch afterwards said that he felt the players had sort of lost the eye of the tiger Um, and I think the biggest issue is that because of that he's been tweaking and changing quite a bit the key of last season was obviously defensively they were so well structured the team was settled you could pretty much pick the team Every week there were very few surprises, but he's been tweaking the formation, tweaking personnel. Um, the only really new face is is Joe Hart and Gold, who people can quite easily just point a finger and say, "Look, he's to blame because they're you know they're conceding twice as many goals as as, as last season." But you know he's actually been quite good, and he saved them on quite a lot of occasions. That game against Spurs, he made a number of really really good stops. But then you know Eriksson pops up in the ninety first minute, and sort of you could see that their you know their heads just dropped, and they were really good. But more optimistically, I think the next five or six games are sort of against teams around them, lower down the table. Um, And I think, you know, they could easily pull themselves out of it. But if they're still stuck in this rut five or six games from now, I think, you know, it's going to be really, really drastic. We know, obviously, that the start to their season wasn't great. They were in Europa League action uh, and many were suggesting that was part of the reason that they got off to a bad start uh, in the Premier League. But that was back in August when they were eliminated from the competition. So, Alison, is that no longer an excuse? 
Well, I think it, I think it is a valid excuse because of what I was saying about their identity. If if it's all shaken up by the Europa League, and he has to rotate. I mean, as Alan says, they they were a team that you could more or less predict who was going to play, and that worked because even if they didn't win, it didn't really go badly wrong. I think Dyche was has always been very good at knowing how to offset a defeat talking about the reality of the situation that Burnley can't be expected to win every game but as long as they stick to the plan he's happy and that would give the players a sense of sense of self-worth of confidence that we didn't we might not have got the result but we're doing the right things we're doing what our manager wants us to do if you're in Europa League you have to rotate they weren't used to that and you have to do a juggling act they weren't used to that so they've entered the season not knowing who their best 11 is and he's still trying to find the the formula that works to make them hard to break down Burnley with with you know a nice set piece at the you know at the end of it to to get the points that to, to drag you up I don't know now how he does that because he needs something you need something to build on to to be able to ride the defeat and still feel you can more or less have the same formation same similar team and feel good about yourselves. I, don't, I mean, where are, they going to, where are they going to... I mean, Alan says they've got a good run. OK, what's their next game then? When are, when are they going to get this, this well, sense of I know we they, know who we are again? They don't play another team in the top six until something like mid or late February. So the rest of the next... I can't remember the order so exactly. So well, they've, got, they've got West Ham next. That's yeah. at home on Sunday. Then it's uh, well, Huddersfield. Well, then it's Huddersfield away on the 2nd of January. Uh, obviously, they've got the FA Cup. Then Fulham on the uh, 12th of January and Watford to come on the 19th. Well, actually, that could that could backfire horribly. <laughs> if, they yeah, don't, if they don't get the points they think they should get from those, yeah. what's he going to do then? He's spoken quite a bit recently about we should be looked at as underdogs again because he felt like earlier in the season, because of last season's success, people were sort of, you know, going to games and considering Burnley to be the favourites. Um, and he's like, no, in every game we play, we are the underdogs. And he's trying to, you know, bring this sort of mentality back in. And he thinks that's the way to sort of to get themselves out of it. And he's also, I mean, uh, the rant on Saturday after the Arsenal game about not being given penalties and being the only manager in football who cares about diving. It was a classic attempt to sort of deflect attention away from his team's own struggles. That said, they should have had a penalty, um, which was clear cut. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, um, so he is trying to sort of bring this sort of, you know, siege mentality back in. You know, it, it's us against the world. I'm not entirely sure if it's going to work because those players have been through that before. It's not going to be any new approach for them. Um, and it's very much kind of a case of, you know, let's get back to basics and do what made us successful. Um, I don't really know if it's going to work. I suppose I've been a bit negative. So the good news, I would say, is that Daesh has solved big problems before. Remember, he yeah. went on that really lot, couldn't win away, could not win away. Then suddenly he solved it, and then they're always winning away. Mm. So he's he's capable of turning, you know, the big boat around. He can, he can do that. And also, he's famous for because he's um, a long-term manager at the club. He's aware that people can get bored of you. So he he sometimes goes in and asks people to pretend he's a new appointment and does something wacky and different. Hard to picture, I know. But he's he's not stupid. He knows that while there are huge advantages to having that consistent manager in place, there are disadvantages too because you, everyone knows about the new manager bounce. Well, he can't... So he tries to engineer that by just saying it's all role play (laughs) you can only do that a certain number of times before that grows still as well maybe you could wear a wig next time 
Oh, yeah. yes. Or try and go a bit more high-pitched with his voice, yeah. less gravelly. Yeah. Um, but he has been in charge for, for six years and, and the board have stuck by him through thick and thin. They have been promoted, relegated and now obviously promoted back into the Premier League. But we mentioned those runner fixtures and if he doesn't pick up those points, at what point does his position become untenable or at least questionable? It won't. Yeah. No? no? You think the board will stick with him? I, yeah. I, they would they would be the biggest idiots in the game if they thought they could bring in a manager who would deal with that budget and understand the club as well as he understands it. Because they know if they go down, he'll bring them back up. They'd be happy with that. There is uh, a really tight loyalty there to him and I don't think there's any risk of him, him sort of going, no matter how badly things go this season. I don't think there's any chance. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We've spoken about teams that uh, can't stop conceding, which plays into a wider theme in the Premier League. This campaign is on course to be the highest scoring season in Premier League history. We're averaging over three goals a game. Alan, why do you think that is? Is there more emphasis on attacking football these days? Um, I checked the stats this morning and I think, according to Opta, since they started tracking data 03-04, attempts per game is second lowest Really? Since then, um, last season was the lowest. So it's a slight increase from last season. But compared to, I think, 2010-11 is the highest since since they started recording. So it's not a case of teams just going all out attack. I think it's more down to the disparity between the big clubs and the small clubs, where I'm not saying the small clubs go into these games against Liverpool, Spurs, Man City, and kind of think, you know, we don't really have a chance here. Let's just... They're not rolling over. But, you know, the gap is so big that, you know, if if one of those teams score an early goal heads drop and they kind of don't see a way back and it becomes easy for those teams to score five or six goals. You've then got a number of teams who just really, really can't defend. Um, despite the clean sheet on Saturday, Fulham obviously have been leaking goals everywhere. Um, so it's just fault this, and this, this no, 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 goal well, fest. No, Bur- Bur- Burnley are conceding double the, the number of goals they were conceding last year, which is another contributing factor. Um, Huddersfield don't look as resilient as they did last season. So I think the, it, you just need to look at sort of the gap in the table between, you know, the best teams are scoring a ton, the weaker teams conceding a lot more. Mm. There's nuances as well, I think. There's an overall trend, I think, to teams who have set up to to weather the storm 
they they don't quite believe in it anymore and they've there's this idea that really you need to attack the better teams mm. to get anything from a game so they're almost accepting they're going to concede but maybe maybe the slightly bigger clubs are more vulnerable if you put them under pressure and i think this is part of the the whole the whole narrative of last season which was well when oh when are teams going to even bother attacking manchester city and that's filtered through the idea that well we just don't have amazing defenders and I think there is an imbalance in quality of attackers and defenders if you were to analyse I mean attackers always cost more anyway but if you just analyse how teams have been put together there is an imbalance there are better attackers than there are defenders if you're finding yourself under the cosh in a match I think rather than just try and keep that going there is a sense well why, why don't we try harder on the counter or make more counters or try and create something with a long ball rather than just hoofing it aimlessly. I just think people are thinking maybe attack is the best form of defence and when that's the case you do, you will obviously get more goals. Well when you're looking at the outstanding defensive performers this season you're looking at Liverpool um, obviously but you're not really looking at at many others. It's not really been a a great campaign from a defensive point of view in the Premier League, Alan. Um, No, I think I'm right in thinking Liverpool seeded seven goals and the next best is 15 um, which you know is, I think, more credit to Liverpool's sort of transformation from from past seasons um, than anything else. But I kind of agree with Alison. I think to bring it forward one more, when you've got the games between the sort of two so-called lesser teams, who you know, it's a dreadful cliche, but you know, the idea of a six-pointer it becomes more important when this disparity between the top six and the rest exists. Um, and I think you know you're looking at a, a situation where even away teams who may, in the past, have sort of sat back closer, kind of realised that okay, we actually need to win this game because this is a team who are I don't know two points ahead of us, um, and that sort of brings more sort of entertaining attacking games between those so-called lesser teams. Alison, you you watched Tottenham beat Bournemouth five nil at uh, Wembley yesterday. Eleven goals in two games for Spurs. How do you explain their goal glut? They're just very, 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 very good. They have, for example, I would say they have exactly what Chelsea don't have, is that they have players that can score from almost any position. Oh, God, Chelsea really don't have that. And uh, Spurs do. And they also have in Harry Kane such an adaptable player. He can be playing deep or drop deep and be the person that unleashes an Ericsson-style pass to set someone free. So they've got their front players. Not only can they all finish in the box, outside the box. They're great finishes. They're also all great passes. They are a wonderful bunch of forward players. Son's my favourite, but that's mainly because of his personality, I think. But he will finish beautifully, but he will also set someone up beautifully. They interconnect well. And when it's, when it's clicking, you are inevitably going to score those goals. I was at Wembley. It was a very curious game. Eddie Howe called it bizarre and he looked a bit shell-shocked and it was bizarre because I, I just never felt Spurs were in fifth gear at all. And you'd think a 5-0. Mm. They weren't really. They weren't really. And Bournemouth played some really nice football and were unlucky because they don't have... They just don't have that finishing ability, whether it's just a few inches out. But Spurs almost... You know, almost like they're sort of lounging around full of turkey and they were still, they were still doing beautiful stuff, almost on autopilot. So I think they fully deserve at this stage to be second and to be being 
praised and enjoyed for, for, for producing goals. But it's not it's not it's not a freak. They have they have players who can create and score. Lots mm. of them. Lots of them. But looking at recent events at Old Trafford uh, under Jose Mourinho, is it fair to say, Alan, that there is an expectation for the top teams to also provide entertainment? Well, you could say United were really entertaining during Mourinho's <laughs> past <laughs> final few weeks. Um, and as well, another one is the the way defensively they seemed to fall apart in comparison to last season, which you know adds another few goals to, to this tally. Um, it's quite clear that the players are just enjoying themselves far more. And you kind of, I know Matic has been asked about it twice. And obviously, Matic was one of the few who are still quite loyal to Mourinho. You know, he's sort of saying, like, what do you want me to say? Um, and it's just, you know, it, you need to factor in as well the, the quality of opposition they faced in Solskjaer's two games, Cardiff and Huddersfield. You know, it's their games that even under Mourinho, you would sort of think, you know, they would have won those games, I think. Um, I think the bigger test to come for Solskjaer is when he faces, you know, one of the bigger teams and United don't have this freedom to kind of play as expansively and sort of just go out and enjoy yourself because once they face a better team, that's just not going to be allowed. Whereas, you know, Huddersfield have kind of really, really seemed to have struggled against the bigger teams in terms of just being completely outplayed. Um, and it's, you know, that, that's followed a, followed a pattern in itself. So I think, you know, you know, it's enjoyable and it's probably refreshing for United fans because they've become used to watching these sort of sterile performances under Mourinho. But I'm not sure um, how well it's really, really going so to go. Big, that is the big, interesting question. Will United have played enough games against relatively weak opposition, including Reading in the FA Cup, yeah. I think they've got? By the time they're playing a team above them in the table, will they have got so much goodwill good vibe in the bank that they can afford to play almost the same way and to because I think they'll always concede mm. they will always concede okay, I'm predicting that now they will always concede will they be winning those games or drawing those games 3-3 three, 4-3 three, three or something I mean Pogba did look a completely different player I, mean, I agree Alan it was only against Huddersfield yeah. but he's, he was still a completely different yeah. player full of that sort of strutting confidence mm. completely you could see he was playing in the knowledge he was not going to get uh, told off by his manager no matter what he did hi there and welcome to the sweeper i'm charlie scott joined as ever by paddy Rombert. hello so we're halfway through the season well after west ham and southampton this evening but plenty of action this week over the festive period one player who's had an absolute whale of a time is son hyung min yeah, Spurs have looked ruthless in the last couple of games. Yeah. Like 11 goals in their past two games. He's been the star from a fantasy football point of view. Um, the sticking issue is that he goes to the Asian Games in three games' time. So basically Spurs have got Wolves, Cardiff, United, and then Son is off. But his form is so good that managers face a bit of a dilemma. Do you get him or do you not? What do you think? I think those three games, he could do very well in those. I wouldn't advise against buying him, but... Looking a bit further ahead, that his absence will mean that players like Lucas Moura maybe do more playing time. But Christian Eriksen has also looked fantastic, and I think what is he nine and a half million? He's only 0.6 million more than Son. Oh, really? um, I think he's even more guaranteed first team games, especially obviously when Son's away. He's much more guaranteed first team games. Um, I think all the points have got to return to mean a bit. You know, Son's going to have to regress a little bit. Ericsson and I think Harry Kane, who's played very well without his due returns recently, are going to score more as well. So I think Ericsson is the sensible bet.
respect there. Absolutely, and Spurs in this kind of form, he's on set pieces too. Yeah, I agree. Speaking of sensible bets, um, <laughs> I think Paul Pogba has got to be the uh, the nail transfer this week if you don't have him. United obviously have looked very good. They've got a lot of options, but I think with um, guys like Lukaku and Sanchez coming back, there's rotation risks up front, and Pogba is your man and doesn't look like slowing down. He's only eight million as well. That could be great value. One player who is quite expensive and we suggested maybe don't bring in yeah I think that was an error Mohamed Salah is um, I think he's officially back to his best yeah uh, 21 points I think then they blank and then consecutive 12 point game weeks um, he's expensive but he's obviously very good Liverpool have Arsenal and City in their next two which may sound difficult in theory but actually Arsenal can't really defend it at the moment City can't really either yeah City without a clean sheet in any competition since November so I think Salah could have a field day against those two and carry on for the rest of the season and lastly of all honourable mentions to two cheap fullbacks who um, who hit the great heights this week Carl Walker-Peters got 18 points for Spurs oh my goodness uh, obviously don't sign him because Kieran Trippier and Serge Aurier might get games um, but Lucas Dina at Everton scored twice, 17 points. They don't really keep clean sheets, but he's great on set pieces. He loves a shot, and he's only about 5 million. So fill your boots, I say. Plenty more advice from us, hopefully, uh, at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football. Uh, or you can find that link in the podcast description. Sign up, and we will email you every week with advice. Just time to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. If Tottenham finish in their current position of second, they would equal the record for the most consecutive seasons in the top three without winning the title. It would be four seasons in a row. Who are the only other teams who have recorded this feat doing so from 1969 to 70 to 1972 to 73? This was a tricky one for Bill. The answer is Leeds United under Don Revy. Incidentally, they did go on to win the title the following season. So you never know. If Tottenham finish second, maybe next year, they could go on to win the title. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Alison Rudd, Alan Smith and Paul Hurst. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. And we'll be back on Monday, that is New Year's Eve, for a special edition of The Game podcast. How would our writers at The Times improve football? What measures would they take given absolute power? Mm. Tune in on Monday to find down. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.